Well, have you ever seen someone famous before? Have you ever seen a celebrity or somebody that is kind of famous, either um, sports or in pop culture or the political realm? Just raise your hand if you've seen a famous person before. Okay, anybody want to volunteer what, who that person was? Who did you see that was famous? Little Richard, okay. All right, Mary, who'd you see that's famous? <laughs> Shaking her head, no. Who else saw someone famous? Yeah. Bob Hope. Bob Hope, wow. A lot of the younger crowd might not know who that is, but I know. I know, he was a funny guy. Oh, really? You benefited from his comedy tour. That's awesome. Who else? One more person. Who'd you see? Jody? George Bush. Right. Uh, w or W? George W. Bush. Okay, Lorraine, go ahead. Oh, okay. Chelsea Clinton. I once saw uh, John Kerry while I was skiing. Looked over. Oh, that's John Kerry. It's the same ski area where Arnold Schwarzenegger broke his femur. Uh, and it was an easy run he broke it on. So he was either going really fast, and probably some of the steroids he used uh, weakened his bones a little bit. But it's kind of funny when we see somebody that's famous, and it's kind of sad also, because we kind of tend to put a hierarchy. When we see someone famous, we get all oh, nervous and excited. Oh, I want to go get their autograph and their picture. And, and we tend to value their opinions higher than the rest of our opinions. Um, recently, I read in the news that Adam Sandler, the actor, he went to an IHOP, and it was going to be about a half-hour wait. He didn't want to wait, and so he just left. Well, the server didn't realize who he was, because he was wearing a mask, and she felt so bad that she had turned away this big celebrity. And, and I thought, good on him that he didn't use his celebrity power to cut line. Uh, but then the company would made, put out a statement and invited him back. and Just for a human being who puts his pants on one leg at a time, just like the rest of us, every morning. We put a hierarchy on people sometimes. I was just in Yosemite this last week on Monday. Uh, spent a night there. Uh, did some rock climbing with a couple of buddies. And... While we're driving along, uh, approaching the area where we we're going to be climbing, we were talking about famous climbers that we'd seen. And I said, oh, right there. That's where I saw Ron Kauk the other day. He's a famous climber from back in the day. Oh, oh okay. There, that's right. Well, he's a na native of the valley here. He likes to come here a lot. And, oh, and then another time, I got a picture with Tommy Caldwell. I'm telling the story. He didn't know that he was in the picture with me. In fact, I showed it to you one time. He doesn't know, and you might not, even if you know who Tommy Caldwell is, you might not know it's Tommy Caldwell in the picture. But I got a picture with him. You know, it's not just secular people that we do these things with. We also have this celebrity culture within Christianity, don't we? Uh, and we have our favorite preachers and evangelists and musicians and teachers and writers, and, and we treat them like a secular celebrity. And we value their opinions and thoughts and ideas more highly than that of others. 
just because they're famous a lot of times. Sometimes we feel a little insignificant because we're not the one on the big stage. Well, I could never be like so-and-so because you know what they're doing for God. Well, I, I just don't have those skills. And it's true that we are gifted differently. I took a class online from a, a university in Houston recently. I was auditing it, two-week course, and there were two presenters. One of them was a guest to that university, named uh, Dr. William Lane Craig, one of the greatest defenders of the Christian faith. Um, and anyways, we'll be talking more about some of his thoughts and ideas later on when we do our series on evidence for God. But uh, he, this guy is just a genius, but he's not only a genius in philosophy and theology, but he knows astrophysics and he knows, uh, I'll just, he knows something about everything it seems like. And so even the other professor who has written a number of books, had them published from Oxford University Press, which is this really high academic press, hard to get into, he felt insufficient as a teacher when teaching alongside of Dr. William Lane Craig. Um, yet this guy, in Dr. Craig's words, knows even more about the topic than he did. So sometimes this celebrity culture, this hierarchy based on popularity or how famous someone is, it gives us this sense of inferiority. Or it makes us feel like we're just there to warm the bench while we watch everybody else who's gifted and talented and has those big, splashy gifts from God while they get up on the stage and present. It's kind of a dangerous a slippery slope that we can find ourselves in. But as I talked to the kids this morning with the ukulele, that I'm replacing the strings. They're old strings. I already have, I think it's in our mailbox, the replacement strings, so don't worry. Everybody is essential. In God's plan for humanity, everyone's important. Everyone is needed in this plan of salvation in the mission of the church. So I invite you to open up your Bible for a brief study this morning. Exodus chapter 19 is our initial destination. We only have about four verses that we'll be looking at, or four different places in the Bible. Exodus chapter 19, from the beginning, when God called his people out of Egypt, when he established them on, his, on their way to the promised land, on the way to Canaan, he had some important instructions for them because he wanted them all to be involved in the mission. Everybody was essential to God's plan for how he wanted Israel to be among the nations. Exodus chapter 19. This is just right before the Ten Commandments are given in Exodus chapter 20. But Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. If you're there, you can say, I'm there. Well, sounds like a lot of you are there. Let's go for it. Exodus 19, verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you'll be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Again, Israel was not more highly favored. They simply were a group of people that God from Abraham saw he could work with. And he was trying to work with all groups of people at all times in earth's history. 
But he says, I want you to be something special for me. I want you to be a treasure in the earth for me. And the purpose was for missions. Look at verse 6. And you shall be to me a kingdom of what? Priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Now notice what it says and what it doesn't say. It says, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. Not, you shall be mostly ordinary people, the working class, and then a few priests that are the extra special, most favored, most loved, most important people. Right? Does it say that in your translation? (laughs) I hope not. It says, you shall be a kingdom of priests. God had a priestly mission for everybody in Israel. Now, they they couldn't literally all be high priests, and they probably couldn't cycle everybody through the ministry in the temple, but all of them, or the tabernacle, all of them were called All of them were essential to God's plan for his people. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Everybody in the nation, God was calling to be holy because God had a purpose for the nation. We discussed briefly last week, the purpose was to be a light to the world. There at the crossroads of the continents, Israel was to be that beacon of light and hope to the world. Now, as a bit of a diversion, but I think you'll see how this is related, in scholarly writings, they call it an excursus, which means I'm going to pause on a point and do a little detour, and then we're going to come back to the main flow of thoughts. But I think you'll see how it's related, because it's in this chapter where God gave his instructions on who could ascend the mountain. You remember, God gave him some instructions. He said, hey, this is holy. This is a holy place. Put a fence around it. This is so holy, I don't want somebody that's not holy or not approaching it reverently to approach this mountain. And if somebody crosses the fence, they need to die. Now, again, don't misunderstand. Our God is a God of love. Um, But sometimes people need to learn also to fear our God of love, to respect. For example, I am not afraid of the power outlets in our house. When I walk into our house, I do not shriek back with terror when I see that there's electrical outlets in our house or in the church for that matter. Why? Because I am careful around electricity. I don't go walking with a a fork or knife or some conductive material and go sticking at places I shouldn't be sticking at because I don't want to get shocked. I rather like not being shocked. I like being alive. How about you? You know, even those um, electric fences for horses and stuff, sometimes as kids we'd grab a blade of grass and wrap it around it and then pinch it. And boy, some of those can give you a real jolt. I don't like that. So I respect and I appreciate the electricity even though I could die. We have nuclear power plants that generally, when they don't melt down, they're safe. A lot of people work there, and they do just fine because they respect, they fear in a proper sense. Our God is the most powerful being in the universe. 
We need to approach our God with a healthy respect. Uh, Knowing that He is so full of love, there's nothing He wouldn't do to save us. He gave up His existence for us, His life for us. And so God said the people need to learn this lesson, and so we're going to put a fence around this mountain. Now before the excursus goes too long, let me keep on moving along. All right, look at verse 12. Exodus 19, verse 12. And you shall set bounds for all the people around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up on the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Now notice verse 13. It seems kind of clear, like, oh, nobody's supposed to go up the mountain. But we know, well, there were some people who were able to go up the mountain. And there are some scholars who believe actually God desired more than just a select few to ascend the mountain. Look at verse 13. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow, whether man or beast. He shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come up near the mountain. Now, what does your Bible say? My Bible has the word near. Yours might say to the mountain. In Hebrew, neither of those words are there. These words are supplied. In Hebrew, it literally says, after the trumpet sounds, which is at the end of the third day, after the people have cleansed themselves, it says, they shall come up the mountain. And it doesn't specify who the they is. And so there are scholars who think that we've been misinterpreting this passage and that God intended for more than just a few people to come up the mountain. Now you'll notice at the end of the chapter, because verse 16, it, 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 the, the process of time moves along and it says on the end of the third days there were thunders and lightnings and so forth. But at the end of the chapter, it's very explicit that other people shouldn't come up the mountain. And so they say, well, well how does this work? Well, remember when the children of Israel were approaching the promised land, the land of Canaan, God had told them, you need to go in. This was before the 40 years. Go in the land. They spied it out, came back, gave it a, a negative report. They were afraid. And they said, no, 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 we're not going to go in. Uh, and then eventually they said, no, 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 we want to go in. But at that point, God had said, no, you haven't learned your lesson. You can't go in now. And so some scholars think that this is a similar kind of deal. Three days pass, they purify themselves the trumpet blasts, there's the glory of God being revealed, and now it's time for those who wished to ascend the mountain. But you know the story. Instead, they recoiled in fear. They said, no, 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 I I don't even want to hear God's voice. It's too terrifying. And so God said, no, 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 don't come up the mountain. Now notice something here. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 5. Deuteronomy 5, verse 5, Moses is giving a sermon based on their experience, their previous experience. He repeats the Ten Commandments, and there's some differences because he's doing a sermon on the Ten Commandments. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 5, it says, And I stood between the Lord and you at the time to declare the word of the Lord, for you were what? Afraid because of the fire, and what? You did not go up 
the mountain. Perhaps a clue that God wanted more than just a few of the leaders to come up the mountain. But out of fear, they recoil. No, 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 let's do it differently. Let's just send a few people. Moses, you go. Leaders, you go. And, and whether this uh, theory or, or more minuscule point is true or not, we know with, with certainty God wanted everyone to be close to him. God wanted everyone to be involved. Everybody had a role in this nation of priests. Everybody had a role in this holy nation. Simply put, everybody was essential. Turn to the person next to you and tell them you are essential to God. Okay, not everybody did it. Not everybody did it. Turn to the person or someone around you and say, you are essential to God. Okay, now say, I am essential to God. Not me. I. All of us are. The people back then were essential to God. And as we'll see, we today are essential to God. Two more verses, really quickly. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. The people... Before the Ten Commandments were given, God said, you're a kingdom of priests. I want you to be involved, a holy nation. Everyone's essential to this mission. And then Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. It wasn't just the Apostle Paul who was called to be a light to the Gentiles. Isaiah 49, verse 6. The Bible there says, as soon as I turn there, Indeed, he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to who? To the Gentiles, that you should be my salvation to the earth. He's telling the people, I want you to be a light to the whole world. And there's no qualification about, well, just the leaders are a light. No, no, no. Everybody is essential. Everybody is a part of that light. And lest we think that only the Old Testament says this, let's go to one more passage in the New. 1 Peter chapter 2. You're familiar with these words. Towards the very end of Scripture, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. By the way, my sermon title for today is Everyone's Essential. Part one. There are three parts. Three parts. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says, But only the pastors and only those elected by the church board, nominated by the nominating committee, gone through the first and second reading, are a chosen generation. Amen? No. But you who have gone to Bible school, hired by churches to do the work for them. You cross-trainers are a royal... What does it say? You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. His own special people, 
that you may proclaim what? The praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. That message comes to all of us. We are a part of this nation, this royal nation, this priestly nation, a special people who are called to give the light to the world. Not just the pastors that are supposed to do this. It's everybody. Who's essential? All. You know, in the pandemic, we had this, who's an essential worker? Well, are they really essential? No, in the kingdom of God, we're all essential. We're all essential. There's no, you didn't buy a ticket to this show, right? Sometimes when I'm playing pickleball or other sports, I'll catch myself just in spectator mode where I'm playing and I'm just I'm like, whoa, that's a good shot. I hit a really good shot over there. That's amazing. And then pretty soon the ball's back on my side and I missed it because I turned into a spectator. I remember playing basketball with some friends, and, and my friend said, what, did you buy a ticket to this game? Or are you here to play? Simple message this morning. God has a people. Anybody that wants to be his people. And everybody is essential to what God wants to do. Everybody is needed, and God wants each and every one of you on his team. Now, next week, we're going to talk about a little more what that looks like, because we're not all gifted in the same way, and we thank God for that. But know for today, you're essential, I'm essential. Let's live like we are essential. Let's pray. Dear God, we are grateful that while we were still sinners, you died for us. When we weren't even responsive to your Holy Spirit, you said, I want them on my team. I need them on my team. I have a special work for them to do. And so, Jesus, we're thankful for your blood that cleanses us and covers us, and we're thankful that you've given us um, the privilege of participating in the work with you. Use us this week, we pray. Gift us, we pray, and teach us how we can better serve you. In Jesus' name, let all God's essential workers say, Amen, amen and Amen. Well, as you know, we have a special opportunity to celebrate this afternoon. We have two celebrations. Brock family is doing a special celebration in the primary room, and the rest of us, we're going to be outside for those that want to stick around for potluck. We're continuing to try to be careful given COVID, uh, it's still hanging around a little bit, but if you want to stay, there's a bunch of food, and it's going to be a good time. We're not setting up a whole ton of tables, but we'll set up some outside, and then I think a lot of us can be very content taking a chair, um, helping, being helped with a chair, and finding some good shade outside. So let's uh, go outside, and let's enjoy fellowshipping together. God bless you, and have a happy Sabbath.